Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. We are so back, and it is a good feeling indeed. We talked a lot about on yesterday's show about the idea that as we kind of predicted, there was this kind of like period of slow trickle of bad news, a little bit here, a little bit there. Individually, none of it really mattered all that much, but collectively it just sort of put us all in kind of a bad mood, an easy place to be on the heels of a lost Alabama and not making the uh, college football playoff and all of that that you by now are fully acquainted with and fully briefed on. There's just been a little bit of a... I don't know, kind of a malaise or a bad mood or something like that. And it's kind of lingered day after day after day. And even with someone like me sitting here saying, eventually it's going to be good times again. Eventually there's going to be good news to talk about again. The good news is on the way. Eventually that'll be the case. Even with me saying that, and perhaps you cognitively already believing that's true, uh, it's still one of those things until it actually gets here, until you actually have a little bit of good news to sort of sink your teeth into and enjoy it's one of those things that the bad mood around Dog Nation just sort of lingers. Well, yesterday, all of that changed, and all of that for now has kind of come to an end because yesterday, Carson Beck stepped up and spoke the words that all of us have been waiting for Carson Beck to say. In fact, I happened to be there in the room when he made the announcement. I was able to take my microphone and slide it right up to Beck to get the official words from Carson on this. This is a Dog Nation Daily exclusive. Carson Beck letting the world know exactly what his plans are here for 2024. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. The show goes on. This is my home. So obviously that's a little bit probably of a basic joke and fairly obvious, but nonetheless, kind of a fun way to uh, roll in to start our show here today. And by the way, for someone like me who puts a lot of emphasis on doing sort of a family-friendly style show, do you have any idea how hard it is to edit The Wolf of Wall Street so that it sort of fits into the the, the confines of the show that we do on a uh, daily basis? Uh, obviously not the easiest thing to do, but reflective of the good mood that we all are in, I believe should be in, on the basis of the back news. Now, as far as like the real announcement from back, it was actually dropped on the uh, Georgia football account yesterday. The quote from Carson here, my friends, and, and by the way, credit to Carson for A, writing this himself and not using uh, AI, and B, not feeling the need to make it rhyme. Uh, he says, my friends and family have helped me uh, put me in a situation to have options for my future. However, the NFL can wait one more year. I'm returning to UGA for my senior season. We need everyone's support in Miami to close this season out the right way. That is Carson Beck officially announcing his return for the upcoming year here in 2024. Now, I got a lot of thoughts on this in probably no particular order. Let me start by saying something that you've sort of heard me say before, which is as college football fans, and if you're you know with us on a fairly regular basis – then you are kind of like a deeply entrenched college football fan as much the same way I am. It, you know, college football has kind of always been my favorite overall pastime. I just enjoy it more than anything else, and many of you are kind of right there the same way. You just love college football. You're just into college football. And you know that most of our lives as like college football obsessives is kind of waiting for college football to get here whether that be during the season, like in the days between Saturdays, we're waiting for the next week's game, or obviously for months and months and months, we're waiting for the new season to start. Most of college football is spent waiting for college football because we have the shortest of all the sports in terms of the regular season, the longest off season. The, you know, it feels like the stretch in between games during the season is also kind of sometimes an interminable wait there as well. So as college football fans, we do a lot of waiting, and we do a lot of talking about college football while we're waiting in a roundabout way this is all whether it be Georgia fans or like college football fans in general all we really want and perhaps the only thing we truly have a right to ask for is is in the long stretch of conversation while we're waiting for the new season to get here can we find something fun to talk about do we root for the sort of team are we a part of the sort of fan base that has enough optimism about the upcoming year that the conversation we have while we're waiting for the year to begin can it be pleasant can it be enjoyable can it be fun and that's really for me the first thing that comes to mind 
about Carson Beck coming back is the fact that it does invite Georgia fans to have a very positive conversation about what the upcoming year can be. I'm talking about in 2024. And I'm not going to like insult your intelligence by saying, oh, guarantee Georgia wins the national championship this year and Georgia goes 15-0 and in 2024 and all that kind of stuff. They might, but I'm not going to guarantee that for you right now. All I'm going to say to you is, out of respect for your intelligence, is this clearly preserves Georgia's standing as a college football playoff contender in 2024, perhaps one of the favorites to win the national championship. The return of Beck clearly preserves all of that, that eventually we would have probably talked ourselves into something even if Beck wasn't returning because there is just an element in which hope always kind of springs eternal as you kind of build towards a new season. But boy, that conversation is so much easier to have in light of Carson Beck coming back because I think the version we get of Carson for this upcoming particular year in 2024 could be a very interesting version of Carson indeed. And I, I mentioned this yesterday while we were doing video in the immediate reaction of the back news, which was over the course of the last year, I've really grown to like Carson. I've really grown to respect Carson. And there was a time, and I'm just being as candid as I'm capable of being, I wasn't too sure what Georgia had in Carson. Now, I didn't come on the air and say that a lot because that's not really a fair thing to, to do. It's more of a hunch or like a intuition that something might be a little off, something might not quite be right. I would kind of liken this to, you ever see a house that's for sale, but it sort of sits on the market for months and months and months? There's a point in which you start to wonder, well, is something wrong with this house if it's just sort of sitting here on the market and it's not selling? And, you know, fairly or not, probably unfairly, to be frank, when you see Carson come here in 2020 and you don't really hear much about him in his first year when he has a chance to play that UAB game uh, in 2021, but ultimately Stetson Bennett was actually the guy that kind of had the better practice week and he stepped in and played well. The rest was history for him. And then you go on like, what, three years of back, not really playing a ton at Georgia, you know, not really kind of having his moment at Georgia. And you start to wonder, well, what does Georgia really have in Beck, really? Is this a guy that's just sort of been sitting on the market too long and, you know, hasn't quite, you know, taken advantage of an opportunity yet? So, therefore, something might be a little off with him so that he's not able to do that. And I think what you saw from almost the word go when the calendar year of 2023 began is, no, whatever misgiving I might have had about Beck of wondering why he had never stepped up and taken that opportunity before, all of that was clearly erroneous. I think there was already positive buzz about him around this time a year ago, January, February, that he was taking it very seriously, the idea of looking like a leader and kind of being uh, the kind of guy that, that, that could be a focal point for the entire team to rally around. There were more of those positive whispers around spring practice. He played very well in G-Day, and all of those were like the hints being dropped of how good Carson Beck could be as a starter and while the Georgia end of season results are not going to finish the way that we all obviously hope they would for Georgia that's not Carson Beck's fault Carson Beck had a wonderful year for UGA when you think about the growth that Beck experienced here I think it puts you in an interesting position of imagining how much better he could be on the field in 2024 with even more growth along the way in fact I want to go back to last August for a moment Kirby Smart kind of talking about Beck as a leader and the fact that he was a strong leader for UGA already, despite the fact that he did not have a lot of game reps. And as you hear Kirby Smart say what he's about to say, and by the way, this is not a joke clip, this is a real clip. When you hear Kirby Smart say what he's about to say, imagine how much better all of this could be another year later with even more experience, now true authentic game experience and kind of proof of concept of the fact that the place that Beck wants to lead UGA is a uh, place that could be a very good place for these dogs to go. This is this is Kirby Smart going back to August and all that. You know, every leader has their own way, and uh, he certainly um, commands the room. I think the, the the players around him understand how bright he is, and they trust him. Uh, and Carson's had a lot of reps and a lot of work, but it's hadn't all been game reps. So he's had a, a huge mass of of reps against good defense you know against really good defense in ours so um, but his 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 leadership methods kind of still still being developed don't you love that that hey he's developing his leader right now we saw him kind of grow into his own as the starting quarterback over the course of that season and by the end of the year I would say that he really looked the part so much so that he almost could have been a first round pick here in 2024 we're led to believe that maybe that's not quite what was in the offering for him so therefore he's going to come back to Georgia for one more year 
and show himself to be exactly the kind of quarterback prospect we all we all believe that he's perhaps growing into that's a really exciting thing for Georgia to consider now one more point on just the back part of this here for right now and if you don't mind Jake can we throw the uh, uh the message from Carson Beck back on the screen again because there was another thing that Beck said which I think uh is kind of a fun thing to consider here uh at the end of the message from Carson about coming back to Georgia he says we need everyone's support now in Miami to close out this season the right way and I gotta tell you that's no small thing to me that's kind of a fun part of all of this too which is much the same way that Carson Beck in his announced return gets all Georgia fans excited about the offseason conversation we get to have January, February, into spring practice, seeing how this team builds around Carson the upcoming year. What Carson says is that starts in Miami with the Orange Bowl. And I think for those of us who at times kind of worry and wonder, boy, college football feels like it's a little bit different. It seems like these bowl games don't quite matter as much. And it seems like there's opt-outs all over the place. We'll talk more about some of those as it relates to other programs here coming up in a moment. But Georgia, despite the fact that, you know, it's not in the bowl game that it wants to be, kind of reminiscent of like 2018, 2019, when Georgia was going to those Sugar Bowls, being in the Orange Bowl this year is not the place you really want to be. But it seems like Georgia is fully committed to making the most of the opportunity. Carson Beck had already been practicing and already been kind of, you know, letting it be known. We talked about this yesterday, his intentions to play in this game, even before his mind was officially made up about coming back for the upcoming season all of that uh kind of speaks to the fact that Georgia I believe wants to take this Orange Bowl game pretty seriously more so than Florida State I guess we'll find out it seems like right now Florida State's in the midst of a lot of opt-outs will actually as the game gets closer try to get a full picture of exactly where the Seminoles head is at for this game but you know frankly that's for them to decide and for them to worry about on the Georgia side of this the Orange Bowl becomes kind of the groundwork, the foundational level for everything that Georgia can build towards in the 2024 season. And just having another football game left this year, one that apparently the Georgia players are pretty excited about, I think that, that that's a pretty good thing. I, I think it's a, it's a thing that for, we can all be kind of thankful for. That's Saturday after Christmas on December 30th. Uh, Georgia sounds like it wants to be ready for that game. Carson Beck gets a chance to play in that game. And when we watch him play, We'll be watching a guy that's dropping a glimpse and a hint of how good he can be coming back for 2024, a return that I believe makes Georgia a very big part of the college football playoff conversation for the entire year coming up. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video. We start 10 a.m. across all platforms. Of course, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, dognation app. Uh, radio at noon, Athens Sports Radio 960, the ref. Podcast across all the pa- podcast platforms. Just really happy to have you here and really, really thankful to have our friends as Engineered Solutions of Georgia as a part of our program today there as well. I mentioned a moment ago, Carson Beck's return kind of lays the foundation for a great 2024 for Georgia. Well, if your foundation is not quite as well established right now as Georgia's is with Carson Beck, our friends in Engineered Solutions of Georgia can help you out of that because foundation issues is one of the problems they exist to solve. And you can recognize this when you see it. Cracks in the wall, outside the house on the brick, inside the house on the sheetrock, or that kind of like crack in the floor of the basement where it's clearly one side sort of sunken lower than the other. Y'all, you know what that is. You don't need for me to tell you that. Perhaps you want to put off getting getting it seen about, but you should. You should reach out and talk to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia today because they're a solutions-based company. And sometimes the stuff that seems like a big deal is actually not as big deal as you might think. And if that's the case, they'll tell you about that. But if it's a more you know substantial issue, all the more reason you want to have Engineered Solutions of Georgia on the job because they've got an entire team of engineers on staff. There's nobody else in our marketplace that will put that level of resource together for you to help you solve your problems. And it's not just the foundation stuff. It's waterproofing there as well because eventually uh, a water leak issue or a water seepage issue will cause a foundation issue. And so, therefore, they want to stop that for you before it even becomes a bigger issue. And, obviously, if you see wet spots where they're not supposed to be, if you see signs of moisture where it's not supposed to be, once again, a reason to reach out to our friends in Engineered Solutions of Georgia. They've been longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. I'm so grateful for that. When I think about the holiday season and what matters to me this time of year, loyal partners like our friends in Engineered Solutions of Georgia, my loyalty to them is one of those things that uh, I'm very proud of. Relationships matter, and we have a great relationship with our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. That's why I heartily recommend them to you 
if it comes to a foundation waterproofing issue. Here's the other thing. They're proud partners of UGA. I like supporting those who support the dogs because it's kind of a fun thing to do. It sort of feels like we're kind of all in, in you know, once again, to use the same word, relationship together. Uh, they're proud partners of UGA, so give them a call. It's 678-ESOG uh, uh, now. That's 678-ESOG now. Engineered Solutions of Georgia is your solution for foundation waterproofing issues. Proud partners of UGA, longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily, 678-ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, speaking of getting in touch with friends, we're going to talk to Connor Riley here coming up in a moment. Fun conversation today. But prior to that, and it's kind of a setup for some of what we'll talk to Connor about, I want to go around the doghouse. And obviously, the Beck news, his return, coincides with the announcement also that Dylan Riola is on his way to Nebraska. And I'm going to get into some of this here right now. So let me give you like three more thoughts kind of on the back thing, kind of, and then sort of transitioning into the Riola thing here for a moment. If you gave me a choice of BA, you could have one of, or, or one piece of good news or the other, but you can't have both. Would you rather have Carson back coming back for 2024? Or would you rather have Dylan Riola coming into Georgia for 2024? It goes without saying, goes without saying beyond any shadow of a doubt that I, and I believe every other Georgia fan too, should at least prefer Carson Beck in that situation over Dylan Riola. And that's not to say that Dylan Riola is not a potentially promising prospect. Obviously he is. He wouldn't have been as highly rated to recruit if he wasn't. By the way, for those of you who are not aware, Dylan Riola did officially flip to Nebraska yesterday. He's going to Lincoln to play for, for the uh, Cornhuskers. But the better piece of possible good news, Georgia got it. In other words, if we were sitting here today saying, well, Carson Beck's going to the pros, but at least Dylan Riola's co you know, coming to UGA, that would be a less, I think, enjoyable, a less meaningful piece of good news because of the fact that Beck is a proven successful starter and Dylan Riola, even as kind of a premier prospect, is still a little bit of an unknown commodity. And what this speaks to for me is a little bit of transition for college football that's actually moving in a direction that ought to be maybe more enjoyable for fans. Now, there's all kinds of aspects of the change that we're doing around our sport right now that at times don't seem all that enjoyable. It's a little bit worrisome, and I'm not, I'm not immune to that either. There are plenty of things that happen around college football now that are so drastically different from what the sport was even like a couple of years ago that you kind of wonder, is this too much change too soon? And, you know, is this being pushed by radical elements and things like that? And, and are one day we're going to regret the way in which we allowed our sport to completely unravel, I think those are fair questions, and somebody ought to you know, ask those questions, and somebody ought to try to provide some answers to them. But that doesn't mean that every single change happening for college football is necessarily a change for the worse. I think one example of kind of some of the new stuff around college football actually being somewhat fan-friendly, I believe it's this. If you gave fans a choice, do you want to build for the future or do you want to try to win now? In almost every single situation, not not every single situation perfectly 100% of the time, but in the overwhelming majority of the situations, fans would almost always choose to win now as opposed to build for the future. Because building for the future when you're a season ticket holder and you're buying tickets to watch games that are not all that fun, you know, that, that are that are not all that meaningful because the the opportunity to win is some distant time in the future, that's not all that great. When you think about, you know, busy people who are, you know, have time divided, tuning in to watch on TV, a season for your team in which this is not their time to win, their time to win sometime in the future, that's not always super enjoyable for fans. You know, think about Major League Baseball, for instance. I grew up a big Braves fan. When the Braves make the in-season trade for a guy like Fred McGriff in the 90s, which obviously worked out, or a, a you know, trade, you know, like for Mark Teixeira, uh, you know, a couple of decades later, which did not work out quite as well. But, but nonetheless, there's some excitement around that. It's a signal that, oh, our team believes they have a chance to win right now, and they're going all in on that chance to win right now. There's an element of that that fans just enjoy the idea of my team is in kind of a win-now mode. Well, what I believe about the current landscape of college football is, given the fact that, you know, Georgia brings in, you know, promising recruits, the Zeed Haynes's and the A.J. Harris's and guys like that. They don't play very much in their first year, and therefore they just move on. You feel like you never really got a chance to know them. What I believe that's telling about college football is there's only so much building for the future that you're ever going to be able to do. And so, therefore, the wisest course of action is to not be too focused on bringing a guy in, sitting him for three years in the hope that he's ready to just kind of thrive for you as like a junior or a senior. The, the smartest course of action right now is to focus on who are the players that can help me right now? 
Who are the players that can do something for me right now? Make me better on the field for this game, this upcoming season, this whatever else. It's almost kind of a borrowing of the phrase that Smart once made famous, the idea of win, W-I-N, what's important now. Well, I got news for you. I don't care how good Dylan Riola ends up being in the sort of mindset and the parlance of what's important now. Dylan Riola is not important for Georgia right now, whether he came to UGA or not. He was not coming to Georgia to be the starter here for this team this season, whether Carson Beck was coming back or not. Dylan Riola is about the future, and right now in the current landscape of college football, I'm actually not quite so sure the future matters all that much. I'm actually not quite so sure that any smart coach, and this is a dramatic departure from where things have been, but I'm not really, I'm not really quite so sure how much any coach ought to be thinking about two and three years from now, just given the fact that you have zero idea of who's going to be on your roster two and three years from now. So the heightened importance of a guy like Carson Beck, the lessened importance of a guy like Dylan Riola, I think actually kind of fits into with the mindset that fans kind of already have. Fans are already, in most cases, a lot more interested in winning right now, being good right away, mortgaging the future is a phrase that you sometimes hear. Fans are a lot more interested in that mindset anyway than the typical coach or GM or player personnel guy or something along those lines. And I believe that college football is actually moving in a direction that sort of matches the fan mindset anyway. That's important to keep in mind. That Carson Beck is something that helps Georgia right now. Dylan Raiola, if he were to have come, would have been something that would have possibly helped Georgia in the future. But given the uncertainty around college football's future, the only thing you can control is right now. And so Beck is the much larger piece of news because it helps Georgia in the immediate present tense. A couple of other quick thoughts here, uh, starting with this. When you look at the Carson Beck news dropping right before Dylan Raiola made his announcement, that's obviously, we would assume, probably not an accident. That's the kind of thing that sort of feels somewhat orchestrated, which most of us who are Georgia fans would say, good, that's the kind of thing I want Kirby Smart to do. This is the kind of thing that Georgia fans have liked about Kirby Smart. That ability to understand, not you know, sort of meathead football coach that can only think about what's on a whiteboard, uh, that someone who can actually think about the, the landscape around college football and how to like massage news cycles to how to to control narratives and the Beck news dropping right before the Riola news drop obviously is to a great benefit to Georgia and that's the kind of thing that also makes Georgia fans I started the show by saying we are so back it's the kind of thing that makes Georgia fans sort of feel that way too of oh as chaotic as college football sort of feels like right now and it does no no lie no joke college football right now between transfer portal and NIL and just regular recruiting feels about as chaotic as it ever has in fact more chaotic than it's ever felt before that's all really true but just because it's chaotic doesn't mean it's out of control you can have control at least some measure of control even during the chaos and that's what Kirby Smart shows you when the when the back news drops the Riola news follows that as chaotic as this is a player like Riola who'd been committed to Georgia for as long as he had been moved the whole family moved to Georgia like you know 30 miles from from Athens or whatever it is uh as a way of uh being closer to the Athens campus and he ends up going to Nebraska y'all that's chaotic that's mass chaos but even in the chaotic elements that college ball currently provides Kirby Smart can still find some measure of control he can control the narrative. He can control the talking points. And today, I think people are talking more about Beck returning than they are about Raiola leaving. It shows you how savvy Kirby Smart could be. Now, finally, there's this. On the Raiola announcement, we are usually pretty careful around here about saying too much about players in a kind of a negative light anyway. We just don't we have a fairly big platform. You guys have been kind enough to give that to us. We try not to use it in a mean-spirited way we don't really make fun of players never really have make fun of coaches all the time uh you know they make millions make fun of them left and right now if Rilo's making millions I guess some of you'd say well you gotta be fair game maybe that's the case we still somewhat tread lightly on some of this kind of stuff but if you think we're not making fun of this poem you are dead dead wrong let's throw this on the screen here so Ryola and his official announcement uh gives us this poem in the realm of college football dreams, where purpose takes flight, enter Dylan Riola, crafting his narrative in the night. Once lured by Georgia, where powerhouse glory gleamed, yet Nebraska's purpose in his heart.
brightly beamed. And it goes on kind of like that. It's one of the corniest things you're ever going to see in your entire life. You know, some Georgia fans are a little bit upset by one of the lines in here that he's no longer a cog in some powerhouse machine. <laughs> no, going to Nebraska, you are definitely not going to be a part of a powerhouse machine. Uh, you're definitely not going to do that. So we're not going to go too hard on Dylan because he's still a pretty young guy. And so we still have some respect for all of that. But making fun of a poem like this, that is absolutely fair game. And I think it serves as an important reminder here for just a moment, which is, you've heard me say this before, I'm kind of a lighthearted guy. I don't take myself too seriously. I think that I am lucky to have the most fun job in the world. But there is an element of the college football world that is changing a little bit. I do believe the sport's getting a little bit more combative. And I do believe the stuff around this is getting a little bit more cutthroat. When a school like Nebraska, allegedly using NIL, swoops in and spends big uh, on a guy like Riola at the last minute to take him away from Georgia, yo, that's an element of the kind of the new world we're living in where resources are scarce, coaching resources, player resources, financial resources, spots in the college football playoff, even in an expanded world, it's going to be scarce and everything's getting harder, tougher schedules, you know, expanded playoff, all of that's the case. Like the new landscape of college football is going to be even more cutthroat than the previous landscape has been as cutthroat at times as that has seemed. And so I think the question you ask yourself is, well, how do you win in a much more combative college football landscape going forward? And it's a, certainly a question that should be asked. How, you know, how do you, how do you set yourself up to thrive? How do you set yourself up, you know, to win this current new world? And for those of us who are fans, how do you make it more likely that your team can do all of this? I know this is kind of an abstract point, but I'll sort of finish by saying this. My prediction is the side that wins, whether it's SEC compared to Big Ten, Georgia compared to Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, whoever else, you know, any, any kind of comparison. The side that wins, I believe, is going to end up being the side that looks like they're having the most fun. And I know that seems like abstract and weird, but I do believe it's true that ultimately a lot of this kind of comes down to choices. Like, where do you want to be as a player, as a coach? You know, you know, fan base is growing and getting larger over the course of time. Where do people want to be? And people want to be where it looks like people are having fun. I got to tell you, last night, watching the way, and we're going to do more of this later on for our golden shoes and things like that, watching the way in which Georgia fans were having so much fun with this. Like, I'm not quite so sure that the whole college football thing is not a house of cards that's about to topple. Like, like, I'm a little bit worried about what the future of our sport even is, and yet we're all going to go out laughing all the way because what I saw on social media last night with Georgia fans making fun of this poem and just making fun of the absurdity of, like, the entire thing right now was so fun and so entertaining and just an example of one of the things that makes Georgia Georgia. That even when Georgia loses on a five-star quarterback, we're all still winning. We're all still having a good time. We're all still looking ahead towards the future. We're all still laughing about the Riolas going to Lincoln and living in the snow and using chat GPT to write poems or whatever else. We're all still laughing and having a good time. And I think that matters. I think, I think the currency of the new era of college football is fun which side looks like they're having more fun and on a daily basis ain't nobody having more fun than us and that is around the doghouse here today on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia so we'll come back to this topic with our golden shoes a little bit later on there's also a lot happening around the rest of college football with recruiting and signing day and stuff like that we're going to cover a lot of that ground here before we're done there too but for now more on the back coming back to georgia news the Riola going elsewhere news. By the way, signing day is tomorrow. Did we forget about that? That's here there as well. Let's cover all of that ground right now, plus a whole lot more, as we welcome in Connor Riley to Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Great pleasure to have Connor Riley here on the show. I had a chance to talk to Connor a little bit last night, which was a nice thing to do, and Mike Griffith there as well, in the immediate aftermath of the uh, Carson Beck news. So let's, I guess, uh, Connor, kind of pick right back up, either restating what you think is important to restate or kind of taking this to a new place here. You know, having, you know, a few more hours, 12 hours or so to kind of, you know, uh, reflect on Beck's decision to come back. What stands out to you as important in light of all of this right now? You know... It was always sort of going this way with Carson, with the season he had, the promise he had. But, you know, again, for me, as someone who studies and follows the draft really closely, the lack of experience, I think, was something that was always going to work against Carson. And I think that's ultimately the biggest reason why he ends up coming back. He's going to get another full season of starts 
under his belt. And more importantly, something that, you know, he didn't have last season. Yes, he was in a competition, but he was not the unquestioned guy. That's what he's going to be this offseason. He's not going to be learning the terminology of a new offensive coordinator with Mike Bobo because there's going to be familiarity there. And, I, I look, I know I've made this point before. I know people have rolled their eyes. I'm not saying he's going to be him. But when you look at the track that Joe Burrow followed during his time in college, it is very similar to what Carson Beck is on and I think what Carson Beck is capable of doing. Because I think Carson Beck right now, after his first year as a starter, is better than where Joe Burrow was. Now, obviously, Joe Burrow had Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Shout out to him for helping me win a fantasy playoff game this weekend. <laughs> but you saw Burrow take the steps, and he was the, ultimately the guy that made that 2019 LSU team go and ultimately go on and lead them to a national championship. I think Carson Beck is more than capable of doing the same. Yes, Georgia's offense is going to look different here. We're going to find out in the coming days, I think, what kind of pieces they get out of the transfer portal. Uh, not to get too inside baseball here, but we're going to get a chance to talk to Kirby Smart tomorrow. I would not be supposed to talk, to that, talk about them at a podium. So I think when you add all that together, it always made sense to, for Carson to come back simply because of, of the starts and where he is in sort of the NFL draft pecking order. And I'm not saying he's going to be Joe Burrow, but when you look at some of the things that Joe Burrow did, Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall pick, national champion, I think Carson Beck is good enough to do all three of those things for Georgia next year. I'll tell you one of the things that's on my mind. I think that's a very strong statement, Connor. I'm certainly uh, very intrigued to, to hear you make that. But to kind of further the conversation, I'll tell you one of the things that's kind of on my mind right now. I think about the Florida game. And to me, that was so telling because Beck used his personal ambition as a kind of a mantle for leadership that week. He did not, You and I talked about this at the time. He did not shy away from, I'm playing my hometown this is a big game for me. Uh, we need to play well because of how much this game matters to me, which sort of speaks to Beck's willingness to kind of step up and make a big statement to his teammates. And the other part of this is we heard from guys that week, and I'm blanking on who the receiver was that kind of talked the most openly about this, but but you know th there was a little bit of chatter among the players that they wanted to play well because they wanted Carson to do well in his hometown. To me, you know, Connor, I take a lot of – especially when it comes to players with quarterbacks. I put a lot of stock in how a team seems like they feel about their quarterback because they know you can be a phony to the media. You can you know, sort of say the right things uh, in sort of a public forum, but behind closed doors, players know, are you the real deal or not? And if you are, those players want to play for you and play with you. I think the Georgia players like back. And I think the Florida game this year was a little bit of an example of the fact that that's true. And the fact, the fact that back, was willing to leverage the relationship he has with them, try to go out there and have a big moment you know, in, in a game like that. And I think it speaks to what this team can be going forward, that the players know Carson, and I think their intimate knowledge of him causes them to believe in him more. Yeah, I think that Florida game is so important and so, I think, illuminating to who Carson is and what he means to this program. The player in question, I'm pretty sure it was Lad McConkey. I'm not, I'm not like stone-cold lead pipe block confident, but I'm fairly certain it was Lad who was talking about Carson after that game and how much it meant to him. And I can't help but think of like what Drew Locke said in his post-game uh, interview last night after the Seahawks beat the Eagles and how much that meant to him and how it sort of rallied the team around him and propelled them to a victory. And the other thing that came away from Carson after that Florida game that, that has sort of stuck with me and stayed with me, you know, he won as a backup as a guy that hadn't contributed uh, before for Georgia in that game, but to do it as a starter, he acknowledged, clearly meant a lot to him. And, and I think the same idea exists for him as a potential national champion or someone who wants to win a national championship at the University of Georgia. Mm. Uh, you know, Carson Beck's already accomplished a lot at Georgia. I, I think he's exceeded the expectations that were set for him when he committed and even what they were prior to the start of the 2023 season. But when you hear him and you go back and – you hear him talk about wanting to win as the guy, being the guy that leads this team to a victory. I can't help but think that did in some part play a role in him coming back, knowing that you know, guys before him, Stetson Bennett in particular, led Georgia to a national title, and Carson saying, I want to do that too, and that matters to me, because while, yes, Georgia has won two national titles and has been you know, the face of college football for the past two years, Carson wasn't the guy that was pushing those buttons. And so I think it matters to him that he gets to be the guy to do that. Hey, Dog Nation Daily listeners, had a little bit of an issue today. Sorry about that, but 
the conversation we were having, Connor got interrupted, so we brought on Connor via a different format. We kind of finished today's show doing that. So we'll let you hear that and be back in our normal format again tomorrow here on Dog Nation Daily. And, of course, we appreciate you being a part of the show. Connor, we had a chance to talk a little earlier about you know, exactly what the Carson Beck return means. I know we're kind of in the midst of that, but I do just for the sake of kind of clean start here, kind of shift gears to the next topic. And it's almost like – Anytime Georgia gets a big commit, like the biggest question we always get is, okay, well, what's next? Who's next? You know, the celebration over a commit, a recruit, doesn't last very long before you kind of move on to the next thing there. So from that standpoint, who do you think Beck's return could impact here? Obviously, number 84 is like the first name that comes to mind for me, but whether it be guys who probably are just coming back or guys that maybe are more likely to now come back because Carson Beck is also coming back, What's next for Georgia in terms of possible good news of other players returning here? Yeah, I think, you know, Ladd is obviously the most interesting one here. A guy who did not have the season he thought he was going to have and has already put out enough tape for NFL teams to know what he's about. He's going to go and test very well at the combine, show off his his agility there. But I, I would not be surprised if Ladd elects to come back, knowing that Carson is coming back for another year, knowing the relationship the two of them have. Conversely, I would also, you know, I would say right now, if I'm putting money on it, I would still probably bet on Ladd going. But I don't know what those conversations between Carson and Ladd look like. But I do like to think that Carson coming back for another year counts in the pro column for Ladd in terms of coming back. I actually think the guy that I'm most interested now is Javon Bullard. Now, Javon has been sending out multiple questionable emojis uh, regarding his status and what comes next with him. But in doing sort of a 2024 roster look ahead uh, that I did on Monday, you can check it out on dognation.com. Safety was a position where, yes, you have Malachi Starks next year, best safety in the country, first team All-American, but behind him, you do have a lot of questions there. And bring Javon Bullard back would answer a lot of them for me. Obviously, you have another young player in Janelle Aguero there. Georgia's not expected to bring in a safety in this 2024 recruiting class. And so if you have Starks and you have Bullard there, I think that answers and solidifies a lot of things. Uh, other guys, you know, Tate Ratledge, I believe he, he had sort of been planning on coming back even before the Carson News had come back. But I think with Carson, that only further solidifies it there. And I'll be interested in seeing, you know, London Humphreys, uh, wide receiver from Vanderbilt, Colby Young, a wide receiver from, from Miami, and then Trevor Etienne, the running back from Florida. Those guys had sort of all been trending to Georgia before the Beck news had obviously come out. And I'll be interested to just see, you know, is that further locked in now that they do have an obvious QB1 in Carson Beck coming back next year? Yeah, I think in addition to the Beck news, like you said, I mean – it seems like I hear different things about the Lab McConkey stuff. And I'm not trying to put myself in like sort of the insider spot here. I'm just saying when you talk to people who know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, you know, different people sort of think they have a different angle on that. And I have heard, you know, kind of conflicting stuff there on that, which perhaps reflects sort of a conflicting, you know, opinion for Lad McConkey. I would certainly love to think that the Carson Beck news could influence him because I do think it'd be great to have him back. You and I talked about this last week. That'd be along the lines of almost like a Nolan Smith returning or something like that in terms of what it could mean for Georgia in 2024. But, you know, the only thing I think that we ask for, those of us who are Georgia fans, you know, can you point to a clear path for this is how this team either maintains or returns to elite status, whatever, you know, version of that you sort of see is the, you know, the, the, the better answer. Is there a path towards being a great football team in 2024? And, you know, I think the small monitor return, I haven't probably talked enough about that. I think that's a pretty big deal for UGA. A Javon Bullard piece on that would be pretty big there as well. And, and frankly, you know, you hear a lot of chatter about, well, okay, you know Zion Logue's leaving. What if Warren Brinson comes back? You know, what if Nazir Stackhouse comes back? What if one or the other of those two guys come back? I think a veteran presence along the defensive line could coincide nicely with the possible emergence of Jamal Jarrett as sort of that space-eating nose man of, you know, Jordan Hall and, you know, Christian Miller – who might be a little bit of a return to the kind of dynamic defensive lineman the best Georgia team sort of have. Uh, you know, Tate Routledge come back on the offensive line would be a pretty big deal. That there are enough possible returns where for Georgia fans who want to have optimism about the future anyway, it becomes a pretty easy conversation to have if the right combination of these guys do indeed come back. Yeah, I, I think – the two guys that I'm really interested in now are Brinson and Stackhouse on the defensive line because while the defensive line is not the reason Georgia lost to Alabama, in my opinion, 
I, I think that it was a step back this year. And if you're able to get Brinson and Stackhouse back, those guys aren't stars. Now, Stackhouse made a huge play uh, in the win over Missouri, obviously. And then I think Brinson is obviously a, a guy that has just played so much football and, and that really helps this team out. They're bringing in six defensive linemen in this 2024 recruiting class. But I think as we saw this year from Jamal Jarrett and Jordan Hall, as talented as those guys are, it's not a slam dunk that any of those guys, even someone as talented as Joseph Jonah Ajayi, are going to be able to come in and play right away. And so I think when it comes to uh, um, those guys coming back and what you potentially get there, the, the game that has sort of had me thinking the most uh, of late with Georgia season next year. It's not Clemson. It's not Alabama. It's not Texas. It's actually Ole Miss, a team that Georgia just kicked up and down the field for four quarters when they met in Athens. That game's going to be in Oxford yeah. next year. But Ole Miss is a team that has, I think so far, come out swinging with NIL, landing big names, potentially landing Walter Nolan. And, you know, before the Carson News, I was wondering, you know, Obviously, look, Georgia dominated that game, and there are some inherent talent advantages that Georgia's going to have. But I think Ole Miss has clearly improved itself. If those two teams, you know, if they're playing next week, what's the line on that game? You know, it was maybe probably around Georgia's a seven and a half, eight point favorite. I think now with Beck coming back, you might see that line creep closer to 13. And like, I think Ole Miss is going to be a playoff team next year in a 12 team expanded format, in part because of the, what they've done with their roster. A part, and the other part too, I think they have by far the easiest schedule yeah. uh, in the SEC. And so that game to me, maybe even more so than the Alabama and Texas games, is going to be, I think, a real litmus test for just where this Georgia team is. And if you're able to get guys like Brinson and Stackhouse back and not have to spend the significant amounts of money uh, in the transfer portal to get, like, say, a Walter Nolan, um, who I don't think they're going to get, or an LT Overton, who I also don't believe they're going to get, I think that helps your team only more. I think that's really interesting. I want to talk about the Dylan Rilo stuff for a moment, and I'll be completely honest here, which is that – Kirby clearly, I believe, attempted to manipulate the news cycle in terms of the back news dropping, the Ryland news, which we kind of all knew was happening, coming right after that. I'm going to tell you, Connor, even though the move is somewhat telegraphed, it still works on me. I really don't have, and I'm speaking solely as you know, someone who obviously watched George to win, really don't have a lot of bad vibes around the Ryland news here today. We had had plenty of time to get used to the idea it was probably going to happen. Uh, it did happen. But you give me the choice of celebrating Carson Beck's return or lamenting Dylan Riola's departure, I'll take the back talk over the Riola talk, you know, 10 days a week on something like that. But beyond just the idea that back coming back is a much bigger deal for UGA, what else should a Georgia fan think about the Dylan Riola news that it also become official yesterday via ChatGPT? Georgia lost a five-star quarterback yesterday. Some People believe he's the number one quarterback in the country, a guy that has been fairly or not compared to Patrick Mahomes. And Georgia still has the number one recruiting class in the country. They still have a blue chip quarterback committed to this class. And even with Dylan Rayola, and I say this as someone who understands that everyone that has watched the Kobe White play is a huge fan of his. And, and Nitro Tuggle is a must keep in this class. And it sounds like Georgia's going to be able to do that. Even with those two guys, it's an extremely disappointing wide receiver haul. Dylan Raiola, and this is not a criticism of him. This is just a statement of fact. Did not bring a lot of talented wide receivers with him when he committed. And I don't expect that to change in the coming days. I don't think we're going to see any five-star wide receivers flip their commitments to Georgia. I think Georgia is going to have to get guys out of the portal at that position there. Uh, you know, when it comes to Dylan, look, I understand completely why he made the decision that he made. And what he ultimately elected to do from his standpoint, if he goes there and plays really well, you know, it's going to help him tremendously. And look, you look at some of the top quarterbacks in the NFL right now, which is Royola's ultimate goal made very clear yesterday. Uh, Lamar Jackson played at Louisville. Patrick Mahomes played at Texas Tech. Uh, Josh Allen's a Juco kid and then went to Wyoming. You do not need to go and play for the best team in college football, a powerhouse program, and go on to be a successful NFL quarterback. The NFL will find you. And at a place like Nebraska, he's going to get plenty of reps. Uh, Nebraska has shown they're willing to spend for him. They're going to have to open up the checkbooks for other guys too to elevate and upgrade their talent there. 
My big issue with Dylan yesterday, and you did touch on it a little bit here, the PR sort of masterclass that Kirby Smart put on with Beck timing his announcement. I think if, if Grady wanted to offer Kirby Smart a, a, a PR class, he would absolutely knock that out of the park with what we saw yesterday. Conversely, uh, like the chat GPT poem, if that's like the best case uh, in saying that, yeah, I, I just plugged this into chat GPT and wrote it. Uh, and let that ride it. Like that's the best case scenario with that poem. And, and look, I, we talked about this last week because uh, I think last Monday was when it first sort of trickled out that Dylan Raiola News was coming in. And I and you and I are sort of in the same boat, same mind on this. We don't blame recruits here. We don't blame kids. Uh, you know, we tend to look at the adults in the room. The adults in the room, I think, have once again let down Dylan Raiola here because I don't know how you can put out something like that where you refer to Georgia and refer to someone going to Georgia as just a cog in a powerhouse machine. Yeah. Uh, that's going to follow him forever uh, during his time in college. And like, if he goes on to lead Nebraska to a Big Ten title, something they haven't done since joining that conference, and if he goes on to lead them to a college football playoff, despite Nebraska only being a program that has one winning season since 2016, that's a huge accomplishment for him. But if recent history is any indication for what Nebraska is going to be, and I realize that having a quarterback and a talent like Rayola is going to elevate that. But if he does what Nebraska has continued to do, when Nebraska has been playing the Big Ten West for the last decade, like that's the sort of thing where you just open yourself up to criticism you have people asking questions, what's going on here? And for a guy who I think is so clearly forward thinking and thinking best about how do I get to the NFL, I think that poem's a real unforced error. And like if Georgia wins a national championship during Dylan Rayola's time during college, I imagine that poem is going to come up quite often. No, I think you're right. I, I think that's all 100% true. And then beyond that, I want to talk to you about signing day in a moment. But, you know, the point that I made to my audience a couple of times here is, is that – to me, it seems like college football as a sport might be moving a little bit towards the direction that average fan sort of thinks anyway. Fans don't want to trust the process. Fans want to win now. And I do believe that college football is moving to a win now sport. And this is not sour grapes. This is me being, I think, as objectively you know, honest as I'm, I'm capable of being. Like Dylan Rayola is not a win now player for Georgia, so therefore I'm not sure he matters at all. And, and by the way, A.J. Harris was not a win-now player for Georgia, so apparently he didn't matter at all. And I'm not, I'm not trashing the, the, the kids, the players, anything like that, but you don't have any certainty of who's going to be on your roster 24 months from now. Like, the only thing that matters is who can help me win, like, the game I'm about to play or the season we're about to be in, I think, anyway. Fans are very comfortable with a win-now conversation. I believe that college football is just becoming sort of a win-now sport, which is – you know, the idea I'm going to bring a guy in and 36 months from now, he may be a good football player. I don't care. And I'm not sure that Kirby Smart should care either. In fact, I'm not even really sure that Kirby Smart does anymore. I'm going to use uh, one of Dog Nation – Dog. I'll say Dog Nation at large, his favorite punching bags here, Dan Mullen. Uh, in late November of 2020, he looked like he had Florida at least very much in position to, to go and, and possibly make a college football playoff. Marco Wilson throws a shoe. They lose to LSU. They lose a close game to Alabama. A, not even a full year later, Dan Mullen's out of a job. Like, that's just – that's where college football has only accelerated and gotten to. And I think this Rayola, you know, decision – one, like, it, it makes a lot of sense for Rayola. If you're a guy who believes he is as talented as Rayola does – you should be trying to get on the field as quickly as possible. And, and Georgia, look, there, there are some, some positions on this team where, like, that's just really difficult. Quarterback, I think, is always going to be one of them. Before this year, I would have said linebacker was going to be one of them. But C.J. Allen and Raylan Wilson go out there and show, like, that's just something that has to happen sometimes. Uh, you know, I, Georgia, obviously, going forward, and look, they've made this clear uh, when they're talking to kids anyway. Despite Georgia, I think, ranking 10th in the country in snaps played by true freshmen this year, over 2,000 total snaps. Uh, it, it, you have to be wired a certain way to want to come to Georgia because while well, yes, there are some guys that come in and play as freshmen more often than not, you're going to be developing Carson Beck's the most perfect example of this took him three years, uh, three full seasons to eventually become a starting quarterback at the university of Georgia. And, and so far that's worked out for him. And some guys it works out really well as well. You know, I think Amarius Mims potentially can still be a first round pick despite really not becoming a starter until the end of his sophomore year. And, and so you look at some of those guys. And then conversely, you know, you look at it like a guy like Lad McConkey, a, a, who was a, you know, recruit ranked in the 1900s. He's going to go on to become an NFL player. 
redshirts after his first year, but by the fifth game in his second year at Georgia against Auburn, he's out there hauling in over 100 yards receiving. Everyone follows a different developmental path here at the University of Georgia. And, and so I think, you know, on an individual level, yeah, you need to be willing and looking at, okay, I might be waiting a while at some of these spots to go out there and play. Conversely, some guys might be thrust in before they're ready. But to your larger point and to sort of tie all this back in together, I think where you were going, like if Dylan's not okay sitting around waiting and he probably wasn't going to be, then Georgia's probably not the place for him in the first place. Yeah. Uh, And to kind of move this to a larger conversation about recruiting, like signing days tomorrow. And, you know, look, the thing that Georgia fans care the most about is, is Georgia going to get good players? And in this 2024 class, they clearly are. So putting that aside for a moment, I guess maybe we'll get to some of that here in a minute. I kind of miss signing day as a thing. Like, like I just sort of miss signing day. And it sort of seems like signing day as a thing is sort of over, or at least it's over for now. Uh, And, I mean, at one point in time, there was even some chatter like, oh, you may have some big national news. And it seems like even some of that's kind of fizzling here late in the process. Maybe not completely, but it just sort of seems like that the air has been taken out of the balloon, the oxygen sucked out of the room by, you know, transfer portal, things like that. That signing day just doesn't quite feel like a thing as much anymore. Is this a short-term deal? Is this just unique to Georgia because so much of the hay is already in the barn? Or are we post-signing day era in college football now? I believe we are in a post-signing day era as it is currently set up with this December signing date and then another one six weeks later in the first week in February. I think if you want to sort of recapture some of the the magic, the drama around signing day, and I'm not the first person to suggest that, suggest this, I think you have an August date and you have a February date where, because and look like Georgia is a classic example of this for a long time, Georgia would save a lot of its work until the month of December. And you make big moves. Then you think flipping Dale and Everett landing Marvin Jones jr. In the 2022 class, most of Georgia's class has been secure and locked up since August. And so I think if you give like say that first week in August or that last week, or really, I think that first week in August, right. As teams are about to start, you know, fall camp and things like that. That's when you have that first signing day for a lot of kids who want to lock in, get this done and get this recruiting process over with. The recruiting process has now moved, I think, much more to a summer session rather than waiting until the month of December. And so I think if you're going to continue to have two signing days, have one in August for the guys that want to get it done early. And then you have one in February for the kids that want to wait or the kids that want to rely on a big senior season and try and get it done there because I can remember for a long time Kirby Smart talking about the importance of that senior season when it comes to recruiting. I mean, that's just gone now because of how, how, how much work these teams put in early in the process. I don't think this December signing date is really working for anyone, be it players or coaches on the staff. And so I think if you're going to keep doing it this way, it's going to sort of just be an okay, you know, most of these guys have been locked in for a while now. There are zero uncommitted five-star prospects uh, in this 2024 class. Maybe that's a one-year coincidence, but I, I sort of don't believe it to be. So if you're going to keep two signing days, I would go with an August and a February, but I'm also just open to the fact that, hey, maybe we just do all of this in February and the guys that want to enroll early sort of quietly go about doing it. And then you have the big celebration in February. Connor, let me take care of one piece of housekeeping. I saw uh, Ken Holcomb say, it looks like the comment portion of the show is not going to happen because we're in this format. If you can stick with us here, when I'm done with Connor, I'm still going to take your comments. Uh, I'm going to finish with Connor in a couple of minutes. We're going to roll through here, and I'm going to take comments. I'm going to do it a little bit different. I'm, we're obviously a very different setup here right now, you may have noticed. But I'm still going to take your comments. So if you're able to uh, – uh, hang out. We'll give you some uh, commentary coming up in a moment. It's kind of all dumped into the same place. We're not on dognation.com, I believe, maybe. But um, uh, but we're going to take some comments, though, in the uh, format that we're in in just a moment. So I want to talk about some of these players here in a second. Uh, I get the impression that for Georgia, nothing's going to happen tomorrow. Not like good news or bad news. For instance, like there's all kind of talk about Nitro Tuggle going to LSU. I don't think that's happening anymore, I don't think. And like all of like the sort of late ads of what the defensive back Barnes or like the NC state committed wide receiver, like none of that's happening either. That like, if you go to like our website right now and look at the commitment list, that's who's coming to Georgia. And like, we could have t- told you that six weeks ago. We could have told you other than Dylan, I guess we could have told you that six weeks ago. We can tell you that tomorrow. Like it's all just official confirmation of what we basically know now for, for a good while. Yeah, unlike our producer's dad, uh, Georgia got all of its Christmas shopping done in a timely fashion when it comes to the recruiting process here. 
I, I don't expect them to be any ads tomorrow. I know there will be chatter around KJ Bolden and some interest in when he signs that is expected to take place at one o'clock. I don't believe he's coming to Georgia. Uh, I think that recruitment has been made very clear with sort of what they are looking for. And Georgia just does not like to live or reside in that neighborhood. Uh, it would not surprise me if KJ Bolden flips to Auburn. Uh, but at the same point in time, I just don't expect him to end up, end up at Georgia. And I think the 27 commits that are on Georgia's roster right now will be the 27 signees that they have tomorrow. Now, there might be a few guys who don't sign, maybe one or two. I'd set the over or under at 25 and a half and, and sort of see you there. But, you know, 21 of these guys are going to enroll early at Georgia. I think something like 15 or 16 of them are already on campus and are going to be taking part in practice this week. Yeah. Uh, you know, for a while, Georgia has prioritized early enrollees. They've led the country, I believe, in the last two cycles in early enrollees. I haven't done the math off the top of my head yet, but I would imagine Georgia is going to be up there once again. And so, you know, they clearly prioritize getting kids in early and now really even getting them in even earlier. You think back, you know, Oscar Delp talking about matching up with Trayvon Walker, uh, Michael Williams going against Broderick Jones and Jamari Sawyer, getting double teamed by them. This is something that they've done for a while. You know, C.J. Allen and Raylan Wilson last year sort of turning heads, but in that run-up to the national championship game, and at the end of the first year, they're already playing. So, you know, when it comes to tomorrow, as much as, you know, the lack of fireworks we're going to have, you know, Kirby Smart's not obviously going to gush and say a whole lot about these guys, but there is going to be some intel out there in terms of how guys are playing and what they're already going out there and doing. And so the fact that you've got Ellis Robinson, the number one cornerback in the country, Already coming in and practicing, that's up for, for A.J. Harris leaving via the transfer portal. Uh, you know, while it looks like L.T. Overton's going to end up at Alabama with his brother potentially, having Joseph Jonah Ajayi already on campus, I, I think maybe trumps that a little bit there. So I, I think that this is a Georgia program. You know, signing day is not what it was, and Kirby Smart, you know, is probably part of him that laments that because I do believe he loves to value the senior season. And he sort of loves the fireworks and the grandiose and going around the state to talking to these high school coaches. And, and so that has sort of been lost in this process with what signing day is. But Georgia's still going to have the number one class in the country. And at the end of the day, even though there's not going to be the big fireworks, Georgia put in that work in the summer so that they, you know, they already know what they're, you know, their Christmas list. I'm at a point in my life where I just sort of send mom like, hey, here's a list of suggestions that are things that I want. So that way, when I wake up on, on Saturday morning, or I guess it's a Sunday this year, I sort of know what I'm getting and know what I'm expecting. But I'm going into the day happy, and I know I'm going to end the day pretty happy as well. I also kind of think it's interesting that it seems like a lot of the chatter about the stuff around Georgia, not involving Georgia, the big news that could happen. It seems like now we're also kind of trending away from a lot of that, too. And for instance, there have been all kinds of talk that Jeremiah Smith might go to Florida State. I get the impression now that's probably not happening. DJ Lagway may leave Florida and go to Texas A&M. I get the impression that's not happening. I know I know Auburn's in play for K.J. Bolden, but I believe if I was betting today, I think Bolden did go to Florida State this past weekend, that that might have been enough to sort of quiet some of that down if I had to guess. I reckon uh, Edric Houston may go to Alabama maybe, uh, but a lot of these like sort of big names, even that – have nothing to do with Georgia. It seems like even they, the rumblings and grumblings of, oh, they may flip. It seems like even that's kind of quieted down now. Is there a, is there a big like national story beyond Georgia that's interesting for you tomorrow? Not really. I mean, it probably happened yesterday with, with Dylan flipping to Nebraska there. And so, you know, again, there'll be flips, there'll be surprises. Uh, it's signing day. There always are. There always will be. But, you know, the fact that we can probably count on our hand what they are, I think sort of speaks to what this day has become. I, I know as someone who covers it and has covered it for a while and likes to think he does a good job of it, I used to love this day as much as any in the college football calendar just because of what it means and where it, where it shows this sport is heading. And the transfer portal in part has just so trumped what this day is, in part because you have a lot of guys who, you know, Georgia signed I think 25, 26 players in last year's signing class – Two of them are already gone in Yazid Haynes and A.J. Harris. And so if you're a fan, there's probably part of you wondering, okay, some of these guys might get on the field next year. Some of these guys might be transferring and playing for our rivals a year from now. And so I think the transfer portal has undoubtedly hurt National Signing Day. It's killed the Bulls. And while I'm pro-player movement and the ability for guys to move on, I think the thing that most older college football fans or you know traditional college football fans have loved – 
the transfer portal in my mind, and you know, you can lump NIL into this with well, as well, has sort of gravely hurt the things that fans care about the most. And you know, bowl season has obviously lost its luster, and I think signing day this year in particular has only furthered that that case. All right, absolute last thing for me, Connor. I'll give you a, a chance to respond here, then I'll take some comments from the audience, and we'll let you get about your day. I think the thing that I probably like as much as anything about Georgia's 2024 class, and obviously we can talk about, talk about Ellis Robinson, what an elite prospect he has a chance to be. And there's some, you know, the, the, the two guys from Texas, uh, John, Jonah Johnye and Justin Williams. We can talk about those guys. But the element of this class that I probably like the most is the sheer size that Georgia's bringing in with its offensive line. I really like Daniel Calhoun as a player a lot. I, I know that Walton ended up not winning the state championship in Georgia this year. But I thought that Calhoun had a really good year for them. And Daniel Bruner, the Walton coach, really raved about his leadership and things like that. I think there's a lot to like about Daniel Calhoun in particular. But the other, like, really big offensive lineman that Georgia set to sign tomorrow, I think that's a really big deal because for all we want to say about transfer portal and things like that, for whatever reason, offensive line has not proven to be a big-time transfer portal position. Teams are not getting great offensive linemen through the portal. For whatever reason, offensive linemen just aren't transferring at the same rate. And so – if you're hoping to kind of build for the future with any position group right now, for whatever reason, it seems like offensive line is the example of that. Because the best that I can tell is Georgia seems set to hold on to, you know, some of the offensive line pieces it's had in the program now for a couple of years, and they have a chance to kind of grow into bigger roles next year, you know, you know, perhaps. That's interesting to, to, to consider for Georgia. Offensive line seems like a spot you can still do that. And in a year in which there were probably fewer elite offensive linemen than most years, Georgia betting on big. In other words, let me find the biggest offensive lineman we can go out and get and sort of bet on that for the future. Seems pretty smart to me. I really like what Georgia has done in the offensive line on this class. The average offensive line commit in this class is listed at six foot six, 345 pounds. It's just a massive size. And I'll, I'll, I'll double on top of that. Georgia lost its last game in part because I think it got pushed around on both lines of scrimmage to an extent. They're bringing in, I believe, six offensive linemen, and they are bringing in six defensive linemen. Uh, they are very clearly acknowledging that they have to beef up both in terms of not just the pure numbers in terms of depth, but also the size of these players. And, and so it, it, I think you know, the offensive line is a great point there. Look, I'm biased towards Daniel Calhoun. I played with his brothers. He, I believe, has all the makings of a guy that is going to be a very, very good offensive lineman at the University of Georgia and is going to be a big-time player for this program. Defensively, obviously, Joseph Jonah Ajanye is the crown jewel from this defensive line class, but there are some other really solid players in there as well, Jordan Thomas, Justin Green. And so I think with what Georgia did with this class, obviously, look, and Kirby Smart will be the first to tell you this. I'm going to ask him about it tomorrow. They need to do a better job recruiting wide receivers and – it's not just a Brian McClendon issue. I know people might make him a scapegoat. You know, okay, that's fine. Uh, wide receiver recruiting has been an issue for Kirby Smart throughout his time at the University of Georgia. This is not a new issue. It is not related to Brock Bowers, in my opinion, for whatever reason. Georgia just does not attract consistently top wide receiver prospects. That's not to say they can't go out there and find them. They've obviously shown they can do that. Lad McConkey, Dylan Bell, even A.D. Mitchell, although he ultimately ends up transferring out. They've shown that they know what they're looking for at the wide receiver position. But when it comes to those elite guys, you know, six, seven months ago, you and I were talking about what does Georgia need to have in this class? You know, a lot of people would have mentioned K.J. Bolden saying you need to have him being from Buford. And and look, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about the fact that Georgia only has one of the top 15 players in the state. Uh, To me, that's really not an issue. You've seen, and Georgia has sort of telegraphed this for a while with COVID sort of interrupting it. They are much more of a national recruiting operation now, more so than an in-state one. And sometimes that does lead you to miss out on guys. But to the larger point I want to make here, you know, Georgia not having a Mike Matthews in this class, I think is probably the one guy I would take over anyone just because of what Georgia needs, I think, at that position and just how dynamic Matthews is. I know Sammy Brown is a name that we talked a bunch about. K.J. Bolden is one. Heck, even Dylan Rayola, who somehow counts as a Georgia high school recruit despite spending six months here and playing for, for Buford. Uh, it, it's a very interesting Georgia class in that it's a no-doubt-about-it number-one-ranked signing class in the country. 
And yet it kind of feels a little disappointing based on some of the guys they had or some of the guys that they had missed out on. And I know that's a bummer of a way to sort of end this show. But look, Georgia's still going to sign the number one class. They're going to have guys on the lines of scrimmage that absolutely make an impact. You're going to have impact players, whether it be Ellis Robinson, Nitro Tuggle, or Justin Williams, who come in and make an impact right away. But when you look at the whole and look at what Georgia, I think, could have and probably should have done in this, in this, in this class, it's hard not to think of tomorrow and be like, Man, if we had had K.J. Bolden and Mike Matthews in this class, I think that changes a lot how we feel about it. Those are the two names that would have certainly mattered a lot for me. By the way, maybe not a great day to have a Buford Green wall. I mean, maybe not the best aesthetic choice here for today. Connor, I know it's not the conversation we planned on having, but I do appreciate your willingness to pivot here with us on that. Really fun information. Look forward to reading uh, a lot from you here over the course of the next couple of days. I'm sure we'll get together and talk on video tomorrow about some of the recruiting stuff that does take shape, if nothing else, just to can, kind of confirm the the players that Georgia is bringing in. Uh, certainly a, a strong collection of those players. So we appreciate your time, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Absolutely. As always, it was a pleasure. All right, we're going to go for now. Sorry for, obviously, you know, all, all the stuff. Just gestures, hands, and just the various directions here. Y'all have a good day. We'll come back. We'll see you again tomorrow uh, here for Dog Nation Daily. We'll talk to you then, everybody.